This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's been a scorcher of a summer and the unrelenting heat has been deadly. Health officials report three suspected heat-related deaths in Ontario and 70 in Quebec. We'll delve into that deep discrepancy. And an innovative house-sharing project will pair seniors who have extra space with young people who need affordable housing. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If you take a common heart drug called Valsartan, you should check with your pharmacist to see if you are on one of the varieties that have been recalled. There are fears that the drug, which millions of Canadians take, may be contaminated by a carcinogen called NDMA. Health Canada says the medications were supplied by Chinese pharmaceutical company Zhejiang Weiwei. Drugs containing Valsartan are used to treat high blood pressure and help prevent heart attacks and strokes. Advocates say this week's announcement by Greyhound that it's grounding its bus routes in western Canada and northern Ontario will have a huge impact on seniors. They fear for the health and welfare of those who live in remote areas, especially their ability to access medical care. They argue that the government cannot continue to rely on the private sector for the service. The company had been pushing for government to subsidize rural routes for years, but was unsuccessful. There's a crisis brewing in Australia affecting women over 50. Homelessness among this group has increased by 40% in just the past five years. The country has named its first ever ambassador of mature women, Dr. Susan Mitchell, who calls the crisis a tsunami. She says single older women are facing serious economic distress as a result of blatant discrimination, especially when it comes to employment. We've all experienced that anxiety-induced panic when we can't remember where we parked in a mall lot. This one, involving an older woman in Cornwall, Ontario, takes the cake. She rented a car, parked at a local Walmart, returned to her rental after shopping, but mistakenly jumped into a similar black car, not the one she rented. Both cars used the keyless entry fobs. For the next two weeks, she drove around town, unaware that she had unwittingly stolen a car. Upon returning it, she complained that the rental was messy and had golf clubs in the trunk. The police were called. The owner of the stolen car laughed it off, though, and it was written up as a case of mistaken identity. However, this is a cautionary tale to never leave your key fob or your keys in your vehicle. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
We're headed into another heat wave after the recent one that was responsible for a total of 70 deaths in Quebec and three suspected in Ontario. The drastic difference in those numbers is because the provinces use different protocols for reporting. The question is, does the Quebec model make it easier to intervene and save lives? Dr. David Kaiser is with Montreal's Public Health Office. Some people are just more vulnerable to heat, and that's the elderly. People with chronic medical conditions like diabetes or or heart disease, um, and also people with mental health problems. And the reason for that is really that their bodies can't eliminate heat as efficiently as younger people uh, or people without those conditions can. In a city like Montreal or Toronto or any, any big city in North America, there are what we call urban heat islands. And so these are places in a city where there is not much in the way of vegetation. There's a lot of concrete, a lot of asphalt, and those places can be much, much hotter than, say, in the middle of a park. And on a hot day, we're talking about 7, 10, 12 degrees hotter. And you add a social component, which is you live alone, you may not have much of a social network for various reasons, then that's the kind of people that we see that are most likely to be impacted during heat wave. There are some medications, for example, people who may have high blood pressure and take a class of medications called diuretics. So what diuretics do is they make your body eliminate more fluid, right? So um, there are other things that we take that could be diuretics like alcohol or coffee. So those medications during a period of intense heat may contribute to dehydration if uh, you don't adjust your water intake. But again, the solution is generally talking to your doctor, making sure that you adjust accordingly, and it may be more adjusting your water intake than playing with the medication. Is it hard for some people to tell when they're dehydrated? Absolutely. There are symptoms that indicate that your body may be suffering from the heat. So clammy skin, uh, dry mouth, feeling dizzy or nauseous. That is the direct effect of heat. You're just getting your body's overheating and it can end with a really severe heat stroke or even death. You recorded over 70 deaths. Here in Ontario, I know that we record this differently, but there are only three that are being investigated as being related to the heat wave. So is that the whole part of the discrepancy that it's recorded differently or is there another reason? What we do during a heat wave is we ask Um, physicians, so doctors, both in hospital and with the paramedic service, to tell us if they identify people who they think have died because of the heat. Um, And so we get that in real time. And the reason we collect that is to be able to identify areas of the city, buildings, or places where people are living where an intervention is necessary. So that is not necessarily done elsewhere, and that explains part of the discrepancy. We'll be doing a really in-depth evaluation of all of the deaths that happened during the heat wave uh, last week, and we'll be releasing that uh, in the fall. It will take a while because we're really going to go back through hospital charts. We're going to go through coroner reports where there are those. We're going to go back through all of the ambulance reports, um, and then we'll be able to see, to to better compare um, between what we're seeing here and what we're seeing elsewhere. And do you think we need that here in Ontario and the rest of Canada? Every province and and basically every big city in Canada has a heat response plan. And the differences are in when they're activated, so what weather conditions make them go into the intervention phase of their plan, and to some extent, the details of what happens. And I think that uh, clearly in Canada, 
we're in a situation where over the next uh, 10, 20 years, we'll see uh, an increase in the number of heat waves. We'll see an increase in the potential impact on the population. And I've talked to uh, several colleagues in public health units across the country in the last week. And I think there's a really big interest in putting together the strengths of the kind of systems that we have in each city and coming up with something that maybe resembles each other a little more so that we can compare when these kind of things happen. We have a better idea of what's effective and we can measure the impact uh, better and work to improve always the, the way that we're intervening. Okay. Dr. David Kaiser, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. That was Dr. David Kaiser of McGill University and Montreal Public Health. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, an innovative house-sharing project to pair seniors and young people. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Do you have an extra bedroom? Can you use some extra cash, some help around the house, and some company? That's the starting point for a new house-sharing project that will pair seniors and young people. CARP is getting behind it along with the City of Toronto. Laura Tamblin-Watts and Andrea Austin dropped by the studio to talk about it. CARP has been very concerned with making sure that older people don't suffer from social isolation and loneliness. And also affordable housing is a huge issue for seniors, especially in a lot of the big cities. And so what we know is that people who are older want interaction and they want to stay in their own homes. So having this kind of a home share pilot really lets both of those things happen. How it works is we have an abundance of essentially overhoused seniors in Toronto. So there are something like 5 million extra bedrooms in the GTA. About 40% of those um, are owned by seniors. And we have an affordable housing crisis. So for seniors who are looking to start thinking about changes in their housing situation in order to allow them to continue to age locally and age in place, it might make sense for some of them to have maybe a student, a graduate student, maybe even a younger senior move in and provide minimal, we're not talking about providing health care, but provide help with groceries, um, shopping, walking the dog, cleaning the house, those kinds of things. And uh, so we are starting a pilot program to facilitate making those connections in Toronto for the first time. Where did it begin? We've seen some of these home share programs happen kind of all around the world. Really, the big one that went viral was in London, England. And folks will have seen that probably on the Internet where you have little vignettes of younger people and older people who've been living together as part of this social experiment. And what they found was remarkable. It started off as a story about how to match people with affordable housing needs and care needs together. And what had happened was families were born. And so those social connections, those networks of care happen organically. And when you look at some of the vignettes, again, for instance, from the city of London and some of the other cities around the world, you see these incredibly naturally occurring communities of care that come out of it. And so we're excited to be part of this pilot in the city of Toronto. And we're really hoping that CARP is able to lead the way in this type of experiment across the country. So what are you looking for to start? The pilot project was funded by the Ministry of Seniors Affairs, now the Ministry of Seniors and Accessibility. 
And we would like to make about 20 connections between senior homeowners and possibly we'll start with graduate students or students, maybe international students looking for affordable housing in Toronto. So 20 matches to start. And we'd like to be able to learn from those experiences. When you match people, is there any scientific part to it or is it just going to be your gut? So we have both complete kind of extensive questionnaires, a lot about their expectations, what they intend to see and what they would like to get out of the partnership. And then we have actually right now we're with the pilot program. We have researchers in the Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto uh, serving as reviewers. Some of the questions we ask is, you know, what kind of storage do you have available? So if you're a person with bikes and hockey equipment, we need to match you with a place that has storage for that. If you're a person who has very low needs and they don't have much furniture, you're going to want to be able to be matched with someone with a furnished home. So we ask those questions and bring the folks together. But again, a significant reduction in cost for the student for just a little bit of care and support potentially would like to develop a kind of a roadmap that could be used for any large city in Canada that is facing this issue. So how do you go about creating a home share program? What does the model look like? Who does it serve? How do you make sure it's successful? How do you evaluate it? Uh, and so we'd like to do a bit of a test case in Toronto, but then be able to come up with a model that could be um, scaled up across all of Canada. The money that is coming in for the seniors, is that going to help them actually stay in their house? That's exactly it. Yeah, it's money that people often who are on a very fixed income would otherwise not have access to. So it can make the difference between not only just staying in your own home, but your quality of life as well. So this pilot project, which has more uh, supports around it, more people involved in it, because we're trying to measure out how it works and where areas of need are. But on a, on a go-forward basis, you can sure see that this is kind of like a bit of an Uber for home or an Airbnb style, but really with wonderful outcomes. The importance of a project like this is related to the fact that some seniors in our city are kind of asset-rich, but income poor and maybe care or support poor. So maybe they are what has been termed elder orphans or just don't have a lot of people around to give them that kind of support. So a program like this would be ideal for those particular seniors. If you're interested out there, how should they get in touch? So they should get in touch with me, Andrea Austin, and you can email me at Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A dot Austin, A-U-S T-E-N at Toronto.ca or at 416-392-5140. That was CARP's Laura Tamblin-Watts and Andrea Austin from the City of Toronto. I'm Libby Snymer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, she sang the smash hit Don't Stop and at 75, Christine McVie is not stopping or slowing down. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. Beginning next week, Shakespeare in New York Central Park is for the people and by the people. Can you take me away? 
two groups of New Yorkers from the city's five boroughs will join professional actors in a musical adaptation of Twelfth Night. Salvador Dali's muse, Elena Dinaconova, known as Gala, stars in a new show at the Dali Museum in Barcelona, which portrays her as a key force behind his work. In Amsterdam, the Stedelijk Museum is offering an exhibition of the revolutionary ideas and activities that inspired artists like Jacques Debrel back in the 60s. By 1970, Amsterdam had become a progressive and artistic haven which attracted young people from all over the world. And at England Science Museum in London, there's an exhibit celebrating the 40th anniversary of in vitro fertilization. I'm Bob Komsik with your International Arts Datebook. This week, the keyboard player and vocalist from an iconic 70s band is celebrating her 75th birthday. Christine McVie joined Fleetwood Mac in the early 70s when she was married to their bass player, John McVie. She became one of the group's primary songwriters responsible for some of their biggest hits, including Don't Stop, Little Lies, and Over My Head. She retired from Fleetwood Mac in 1998, the same year they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In early 2014, she became an official member of the group once again and has been touring with Fleetwood Mac ever since. Right now, we'll hear one of the many hits she wrote and sang for the group. Here is You Make Loving Fun. That was Fleetwood Mac with You Make Loving Fun. The band's singer-songwriter Christine McVie celebrated her 75th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Zneimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.